My purpose in life is to leave my dent in the universe in absolutely everything I do, as well as to inspire and help others do the same. For someone to leave their dent in my life is a privilege. For me to leave my dent in someone else's life is an honor. But to inspire and help others leave their own dent in the universe is an indescribable feeling. I plan on doing this through this podcast by celebrating my guests and inspiring my listeners, all while leaving my own dent in the universe and helping others do the same. My name is Fer Andrade, and this is Denting. Before this episode starts, I'd just like to point out that this is the second part of the episode. It starts pretty much randomly somewhere in the middle where we left off. Uh, The first part will provide a lot of context for you. It's great, but this second part is by far my favorite. We touch on several subjects and just provide our thoughts and opinions, and I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, Lacey is a great person. She was a great guest, and yeah, I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Here you go. No, I mean, it's it's not that it has to be pretty at all. I think it yeah. was very cool and it just worked out, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually do have many questions starting with Sideline Chatter. Um, yeah. For starters, how did that name come up? A reason I'm asking is because all these issues, I think, um, are very important and I'm passionate about it as well. And I do some work uh, at Cal, like within Cal Athletics, uh, student athlete engagement groups to support that but should it be sideline chatter or should it be main chatter Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously there's a lot going on uh in today's world and a lot has changed since you created that column Mm -hmm. um but for example the most recent recent thing that we've used especially at cal is the aaron Rodgers thing right because i mean he graduated from cal so i was reading through through a new york times article and a doctor speaking about the Aaron Rodgers case uh, said his name is Dr. Paul A. Offit, and I'm just saying that because I'm going to quote him. But he says, "When you're a celebrity, you are given a platform. When you choose to do what Aaron Rodgers is doing, which is to put out misinformation that could cause people to make bad decisions for themselves or their children, then you have done harm." And that leads to the question regardless of the name because I, I know it's you have to be fun with the name but should it be sideline chatter or should it be the main topic that we're talking about besides the sports analysis phenomenal question um i was actually thinking about this a, like a couple months ago because um espn kind of does a similar take where they if they call it outside the lines and i was like oh well, maybe this should be inside what inside the lines because just because, and it's great that these conversations are even happening at all, and I think the fact that there is a platform for this and there is a space for this is 100% the steps that we need to be going, walking towards, running towards maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, at first, I, I, at first I, I did call it sideline chatter because I, I, at the time, a lot of these topics, and this, this was, I created the column during at the end of my sophomore year, I misspoke earlier, and I I continued it during junior year during COVID. But at the time, a lot of these topics were quote unquote kind of put to the wayside. A lot of them. I mean, in the last year, I feel like we've 
done change. so much, changed so much in terms of the discourse that we're having around some of these topics. For a quick context for everyone, what year was this? Your, your sophomore year? 2019. Okay, yeah. Just for context for everyone, because yeah. everything changed after that. Right. So, so yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 2019 was when I... And I first had it... I kind of I was like, oh, I want to focus it on, on just women's empowerment stuff. Um, and so I kind of had, like, sideline chat her, like, H-E-R. Okay. You know? Yeah. And, and kind of wanted to focus on that. But I was like, okay, wait, there's so much more conversation to this, and there's so many voices to be added. So that's sort of why I took out that emphasis on the her and just kept it to sideline chatter and then ultimately I think I my junior year was when I got rid of just using the name in front of some of these um columns and just having the instead of saying you know sideline chatter colon the title of the article I just kind of got rid of the sideline chatter just naturally kind of fell off because I think subconsciously the fact that some of these conversations were happening you know at the center of the table post 2020 um was just a major transformation for how I chose to look at sports. And instead of sort of examining these issues um, in addition to sports coverage, I was sort of examining these issues through sports coverage. And I think that transition for me marked a big change and a big passion for what I want to continue doing because you put it perfectly. I mean, the Aaron Rodgers story is kind of a perfect example for that, right? the the platform that we have and sort of the the names and the the power that headlines that storylines that just a simple conversation can have i think in you know 2020 and beyond it people grasped onto that and i think that's changed the way our, it's changed our responsibility for how we choose to cover anything as a yeah. as journalists and and sports. To use that example, you know, I always thought it, toy uh, sports are always often called the toys and games of the newspaper section because oftentimes they're just about wins and losses. And I'm having been such a sports fanatic and freak, and I'm like, how could you say that? And it's so insulting about sports, you know. But um, ideally, up until this point, sports were not really used as that as the catalyst for change you know the stick to sports memos that we hear from you know audience groups and fans and and players even you know that narrative was always just how it was and post 2020 there's just been such an inclusion of voices and so much progress to include and bring these major topics into discussion through sports emphasis on the through because rather than just having it be sort of like this sidelined sideline you know side dish over here here's the game story meat and potatoes kind of thing here's this you know story about gender inequality that we can kind of just sort of gloss over now that's changing and that that's incredible and I, that's that's definitely what drives me forward now but i think it did take it did take that sort of perspective and that shift in the past year to change that yeah and i I do agree with you because mm-hmm. um, obviously I'm also very passionate about sports, but mostly because of the platform. I think that sports are a metaphor for life, and that's why we should give it so much importance. I'm a poli sci major, so I mean, I also do get the the politics and economy yeah. and news side to things, but 
with sports, um, it is a literal metaphor for life and it represents how people are and all these athletes are just like everybody else, but on a bigger platform. So I do think it's important to do work that way. And, and same with the videos, right? If it's for writing, uh, it's writing for you. And for me, it's either videos or these conversations, but like some of the things we've done in the spring, um, I'm part of a group called the Racial Justice Council at Cal, and awesome. we we basically, or yeah, everybody recorded a video, I put it together for the Stop Asian and Pacific Islander Hate, which was crazy because it was something that people like hadn't ever experienced, especially in the Bay, and it was like really happening, and many people were really scared about this, so we put it together, and as student-athletes, that has a, a good weight, you know? Or another example is there's a new group called Bears United, and that's the Gay Straight Alliance group at Cal for student athletes. And even though the group is very small and very young, putting together athletes to speak this message, whether you are or aren't a member of that community, was very special because it's so many different names and so many different people from different backgrounds. But once you put it on that big platform and add on top of it the power of social media, a lot can change, you know, and, and you learn a lot because I, um, I mean, I don't identify with either of the groups I, I mentioned, but helping them give a voice to their issues, especially being underrepresented groups is special. And we did it through sports and through social media. And I think both of them really reflect life, which is, I mean, why I have you here, right? You have more work and journalism with service. You are, you already mentioned Bolivia, but do you want to talk about like the work you did with the ethical manufacturing company and and how that worked through the eight weeks? Yeah. Yeah, that was... And this was another... um, This was sort of a big pivotal change and this this is... Thinking back on it, this experience sparked my desire for wanting to um, not only create a space for these people to have more of a voice, but just kind of hand them the mic, you know? Um, and I, this, this multimedia project that I completed down in Bolivia, it was through Santa Clara university, the, uh, through a program called global fellows. And because I was a student athlete, I wasn't able to study abroad, um, traditionally. So I wanted to have an experience where I was essentially immersed in another culture and learning and dissecting and understanding myself through another culture. Um, but I wanted to do it in a way that I wasn't just going to help out and do kind of a service project for, for two weeks during a winter break and then come home and say that I was a changed person. Um, (laughs) you know, I wanted to really, I really wanted to take a hold of that opportunity. And so I applied for this global fellows program and, um, I got accepted into the program and, me and two other boys one of them is on my one of them is a, is a best friend of mine on my team his name's Brendan and then another buddy of ours his name's DJ the two of us went down the three of us went down to Bolivia and we interned essentially with this ethical manufacturing company called AHA um, AHA was what it, I think can't remember what it stands for now it's bad but <laughs> um, it was this ethical manufacturing company and my boss, I clicked with her immediately. She was, um, she had been living in Bolivia for her whole life, but she was actually born, I think, in the States, and she moved over there. Um, but Bolivia's culture is a third world country, so it, it was very different than anything I'd ever experienced. Um, 
I was living there for eight weeks and out of the, this sort of trio, um, being the only girl out of these two boys working for this company was very eye-opening because in Bolivia, they don't, women do not have a lot of rights. Um, and there's a big concept of femicide over there, which is essentially um, killing, br brutally murdering women for no reason, similar to, it was a very heavy time for me because I was realizing all of this. And it's just, just to like, I don't know, I don't even know how to word this, yeah. but just to like express how real this is, obviously it's not the only country that this happens is, uh -huh. but it does happen a lot in Mexico as well. Like femicide is right. a thing in yes. Mexico. Yes. So yes, I know what you're you know, talking about. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's some, sometimes it's very nuanced and sometimes it's very, um, very, uh, what's the word? Just obvious, I guess. Um, but I went over there and I, I, uh, Basically, I was interviewing these women who were coming into work every day for this ethical manufacturing company, and some of them were were had come from family had a family life. They were a lot of them were moms, and a lot of them were wives of husbands who some were in favor of them working, and some were not. And so a lot of them had to sort of sneak around and sneak into work every day and. Um, I was interviewing them basically on that experience and it was it, it wasn't I wouldn't want I don't want to say it was kind of this undercover project but it was definitely a, a project that I sought out um, the other two boys that were with me they were doing more business stuff the, originally the the internship was supposed to be business focused um, kind of through a lens of service but more so helping these small businesses grow and while I did a lot of that it was a lot of helping the the company they made you know little bags and sweaters and stuff and they basically just used bolivian textiles and different sort of materials from bolivia to create products and they wanted these products to go on amazon so that was sort of the overall goal but i connected so much with my boss and was really blown away and just gravitated towards this idea of feminism in a country that had none and i basically sought out and created this project myself and I was interviewing these women who would come into work and we would sometimes talk for three hours. Granted, my Spanish pretty bad at the time and I had a translator there with me, but I it definitely helped my Spanish improve. Um, but I would sit there for kind of three hours, ask a question, translator would, would ask the question, they would respond, translator would say it to me. So it was kind of getting the information through that way. So it wasn't as, as uh, clear as I maybe wanted it to be, but- Bit of a telephone game. Yep. Yep, exactly. And um, so I basically just learned how incredible these women were. And I learned just so much about my own passions, which was I'm so grateful for. But I also just learned about what what it means to be a woman in this kind of context and how much how much how lucky I am that I get to come here and pop into your world for 10 weeks and and just experience your life and this is your everyday life like it, it made me I mean I broke down almost every day because I was just so overwhelmed by some of these women's some of these women's stories and just understanding and listening to you know what they had to go through every day a lot of them had to sort of come to work um, undercover some of them had to sneak out some of them had been 
physically abused by their husbands for for leaving the house and trying to provide for their family. So there was just a lot of sort of, there was just a very heavy experience. And I, at the end, I create, I interviewed all of them and then I created sort of this mural um, to go in the office um, of all each woman's profile. And a lot of the women, it was kind of cute. They, none of them like really smile ever. They're very serious. And a lot of times I would try and tell jokes and get them, just get them talking. This is yeah. where I fell in love with just this like curiosity thing, right? Like just so driven by who people are and, and what their stories are. And um, I remember like making some of them laugh and catching it on camera. I got, I also got really into photography at that time. And, um, you know, a lot of them never smiled and they smiled once. And my boss came in and looked at the mirror one day and was just like, Oh, this is what all of them look like. So happy. You know, like how, how did you get them to do that? Like, how did you get them to smile? You know, it's oftentimes it's just starting a conversation and asking about their lives. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I created that and, and it didn't necessarily make a massive difference in terms of it didn't do anything politically in terms of trying to create more rights for these women. But I think it just, it, it opened up their minds, I think, in just under, helping them understand why they work and why they work at AHA and helping them feeling valued at the company. Like it was a big, you know, sort of like internal project for the company um, that really helped their own self-esteem as well. So I took, I walked away from that experience just absolutely blown away. And I wanted to take some of that perspective into my work and that's really what started this idea for um, this this column and really just started this whole, I guess, journey towards trying to shine some light on some of these issues that didn't really get talked about, especially at the Santa Clara newspaper, but in beyond. And I think you're so right. The fact that you started a, a side project at Cal and started sort of this group with your own student athletes to help raise some of these voices. It's, it's, it's amazing what, what athletes can do in terms of creating change. And I think you might not realize it. I mean, you seem like a very humble person. Like you might not realize the, the power that you have as an athlete. And I, I certainly didn't at the time. Um, but people look up to you and, and people, you know, only whatever, whatever the statistic is, 2% of, people go and, and become a division one athlete. And yeah. it's aside from just being, being a representative of a really gifted soccer player, you carry more weight, I think, than realized. And I think if, if, if student athletes can help, you know, make some kind of difference and hand the mic to other student athletes, other student athletes of color, um, and sort of uplift some of these voices, you know, it, imagine what, what everyone can do if everyone was focused on this. Like it's, 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 it's really cool that you, that you've done that. I've also seen some of your work with like some of the leadership stuff too. Yeah. Like that, that part of it's just equally insane. Like creating, I think, how do I want to say this? Sports have a way of, like I said, serving as like you said a metaphor for society and it's sort of this lens through which we can look at a lot of structural inequality issues that happen within sports but also connect them and shine a light on those outside of it and while we're talking about sports we're talking about a soccer pitch we're talking about you know kneeling for a national anthem anything like that like we're really talking about these larger issues that 
yes, it starts from just simply, you know, being a soccer game or being a football game, but it, and being, you know, athletes, diversity, using diversity in that way, but it, it just expands so much further than that. And I think if we can, if anyone, you know, anyone, but people with a platform can, can use it to expand that, those issues and really expose some of these inequalities that happen in sports and also outside of them, I think, I think there's just so much room for that. And it's really cool that, that you're doing that and at least starting that on your campus as well. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, that really means a lot. And mm-hmm. I mean, I will be clearer um, in saying <laughs> that I didn't like start these groups, but I did mm-hmm. lead and, and do the videos. And that's just like, yeah. it's, it's my way of helping, you know, because like I said, I don't identify either as Asian or Pacific Islander right. or LGBTQ plus, but I can give a voice and it can be an right. ally. And I think that's, that's the most important part because for example, I really support the feminist movement mm-hmm. and the whole feminist community. But I think it's important that we're talking about it here and that I'm a male because if you only talk about things within your own group, you never cross that bridge. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do with, exactly. with these groups. It's, it's, building that bridge and I know that there's many people that want to tear down bridges and there's even more people that don't want to cross that bridge but I think that we're better off providing it than just saving aside and and just watching it happen you know Mm -hmm. and I think that's an important thing that everyone is capable of like I I was telling you this whole thing I have no clue about cameras I have no clue about mics I've had like, uh, well, the episode is coming out next week, but by the time that this is out, Bjorn Seeliger like came here. He's an, uh, an Olympic swimmer, came here and started using the interface and he knows more about it than I do. I don't know anything about this, but if I'm able to just learn a bit to provide a voice and build that bridge and connect that message, right. then, then that's what matters, you know? And I think that's the, the simplest thing that we can all do out of I don't know, out of care for, for each other. Yeah. I, I, I think about that often too, because you know, I'm a, I'm a white straight woman. I, you know, I, I often think, you know, what I don't want to, as much as I want to be a voice and as much as I want to create change, I don't want to take that voice away from some of the people that I'm actually talking about and want to give change to. So I think it's, it's so important to realize and understand the platform that you have but also know where that limit is and where that conversation can you can cross those lines because like I said you know I don't identify as a person of color I don't identify with the LGBTQ community but I I I so want to help and sort of fit in where I can and as a journalist I think there's a lot of room to and as with the platform that I have especially within the sports journalism community there is so much that is not being talked about. And if me with a, you know, as a white woman can, can help sort of get the ball rolling in that regard, I think, I think that can only do good. And I, I want to listen and first, you know, first and foremost, listen to people and help people, you know, realize their perspective and realize their power as well. Any, everyone, you know, so I think it's, I think it's awesome that a space like this exists, you know, to, yeah. to just learn about people and, you know, understand where your limits are and understand what you can and cannot talk about because you don't have the same perspectives as, as someone else does in the room, you know? So anytime you can sort of create that and create dialogue around that, I think is, is good. Yeah. I definitely think it's, 
it's important and necessary and I mean, I'm not going to tell everybody to do it because I'm sure that not everybody wants to, yeah. even though I wish they did. But since it, it's something that comes naturally for me, then then I'll do it, you know. Um, but all of this does connect to like a few more bonus topics that I do have in mind uh, for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that you did a, a summit, a women's leadership summit at Santa Clara, that you were director of speakers yeah. and then... Um, it ties a bit more into like the last parts of, um, being a woman in sports, but do you want to talk briefly about that? Yeah, I, um, yes, I was the director of speakers for the own it summit at Santa Clara. A lot of camp, a lot of colleges do their own sort of women's empowerment summit, but ours is called own it. And actually OLP does one. It's called, I think it's the women's symposium. They call it, but I was essentially in charge of getting um, women to come to this event and obviously this was a virtual event because it was during COVID um, but normally we have students from all over campus and professors and then students from tons of different Bay Area colleges and high schools come to the to the event it's a catered food event and you kind of network with women in the industry and you network with other college female students um, it's open to for anyone to attend male or female um, but any sort of anyone anyone can can, can attend and normally it's an event for this networking service but also for women to listen and hear from professionals in respective industries and this was a virtual event so obviously there was none of that so I had to deal with that challenge but as much as that was a challenge and you know we talked about the obstacle being the way I used sort of that to my um, advantage and I also recognized that I really did not want, oftentimes in the past we had gotten speakers that, um, you know, look like us and Santa Clara is a predominantly white cisgender school and so oftentimes there were white women coming to speak and um, while that, while that's great and that those perspectives are, are, are valued, I, I was like, oh, I, I really want to increase um, the voices in this room so, and I wanted there to be people of color and women of color to come talk at the event and so um, I had reached out to a variety of different people um, and I landed on Hoda Copy, who is the main anchor for Good Morning America at NBC um, I also landed on Jennifer King who was is the first I think she's a, she's definitely the first African American women coaching in the NFL, but she might have been the first, I don't, I'm not sure if she's the first or um, the only right now, but, and then I also had reached out to Versha Sharma, who is the editor of Now This News, and then um, I had two, there were two other directors of speakers with me who had reached out to the CEO of, of Lyft um, as well, so there was, there was a variety of different speakers that got to come, and it was it was an awesome event because most people most of the time these the we would have to pay for the speaker to come to the event and essentially you know pay their way to come and it was kind of a more more of a hassle. This was a free event, so we didn't charge any students to come and we just did a sort of a Zoom call and for Hoda's I think there was over a hundred people that came to that one. Um, you know, for a Zoom event, that's kind of rare. So I was at least happy about that. 
But um, yeah, it was it was an awesome experience getting to listen to these women and understand what it means to be such badasses in their own way. I mean, you had someone from from the news industry, from the sports industry, from two from the news industry, from from the from the business side, one from the you know a perspective of a CEO. You know, it. I just and and all you know. I think four out of the five are women of color. So I think it was just a great experience to to be a part of. And again. Yes, I was the one of the directors of speakers for this event, but I, I and it was it was great that for me to be able to receive recognition for getting these women to come, but I also was like this is an opportunity to hand the mic and and not have this be coming from the same voices all the time. And I think um, that perspective is really valued and, and it was a great event. I think people really liked it and it just it, again, it it was right up in my alley because I'm I love everything about women's empowerment and, and creating women leaders. And I think, um, you know, that event definitely just added to my sort of book shelf with that. But I, you know, I, I, I loved it. I love being a part of it. And um, I definitely want to keep that sort of energy going forward. If I can do something like that again in my career or just on the side or something, I don't know, you've got this awesome side gig. I'm like, oh man, what can I do on the side? Maybe I can do something like that. So I just kind of want to, keep that going and yeah that just definitely was a was a was a bonus as part of my senior year but yeah I I loved it that's awesome and again it's giving that voice to underrepresented groups and building Mm -hmm. that bridge and making that connection so applaud you for for that and Mm -hmm. I mean for for all your work even though I relate to you in the sense that we don't do it for recognition or the applauses it's mostly because we enjoy doing it yeah you did I mean you did leave with quite the recognition um you the you received the Harley prize of journalism for the you know contributing to the most success of the student publications um you got third place in california's college media association best newspaper and the bill king college scholarship so yeah congrats on all of that that's (laughs) also awesome and and it just goes on to show i mean that Although it's not about the recognition, if you do good work, people will notice. Mm-hmm. And it's not about like, hey, I, I'm awesome and, and all this. It's mostly about people recognizing and being inspiring to others, to the next generation to do the same, mm-hmm. which is awesome. I think that that's what it's about. When you put people up there with uh, an award on a platform, it spreads the, the news out to many people and like you said, maybe like baseball, it inspires younger girls yeah. to, to do the same. Um, and all of these feminist topics, I want to just uh, start concluding the interview with. But um, obviously, you're, you're a woman in sports. That's how you describe yourself in your bio. And you've mm-hmm. written a lot of uh, about this. And it's awesome work. Um, I'd encourage everyone to, to go check it out. I'll, mm-hmm. the, I'll put links to your work um, in the description for the episodes. But um, you do have a, a lot said. So I'm going to read a bit some of, of the notes that I have. Yeah. Um, for example, your, your um, bio on Last Word on Sports, which you wrote um, for, for the Padres. Um, you describe yourself as quote, I love writing and I'm also obsessed with sports. I love to watch, play, read about, talk about, laugh about, sometimes argue about sports every day. I'm a passionate, uh, I'm, I am passionate about the human aspects of sports stories and hope to be the social conscious of a sports page someday. 
I wrote this all down because I was going to ask you about it, but I mean, we've already literally yeah. talked about how you are focused on the human aspects and how people tick, which I can relate to mm-hmm. as well as being the social conscious. Um, something that stood out to me was like some of your work with on her turf. Um, for anyone that may not know that it's, it's part of the, well, do you, what do you like to describe briefly before I dive deep? Like what on her turf is? Yeah. Yeah. I had a, um, I had a job with NBC Sports this last summer, working as a part of uh, an, as a part of the editorial research team for the Tokyo 2021 Olympics. And on her turf is sort of it's not only Olympic um, centered, but it's sort of NBC Sports's own sort of section for a lot of it is centered around female athletes and. Um, but a lot of it centered around sort of the issues we've been talking about today, gender equality, LGBTQ rights, um, racial justice, just sort of a social justice, um, page and it's NBC sports's version of that. So it's called on her turf. Yeah. Um, they describe themselves as pushing boundaries and empowering women along the way, which is, I mean, very cool. I, I know about it or I started hearing about it uh, because of the Instagram account, which I follow and it's awesome to to see because mm-hmm. in the same way that um, other sports accounts are like focused on males, you get to see like the other side of the coin yeah. that like you just don't see usually. Um, but you wrote for them and there's a few topics that just like really caught my attention. Mm-hmm. The, the first one was like with the like being an athlete and being pregnant like Mm -hmm. it's just obviously very tough um in a way it's 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 crazy how athletes push themselves to be able to manage that like i remember i remember when alex morgan was pregnant and she was working out and posting videos and it was like like you're you're reaching the third Uh trimester (laughs) and you're doing that it's like wow that is crazy Mm -hmm. um i think it goes on to show like how much the game or not the game, but just like technology and athletes in general have just changed so much over the years and grown to be able to do that, like not naturally or normally or easily, but it's possible is the point. And I think that through proof and conversation, like, uh, like your article that that's being shown, but I'd like to dive into another article and this I'll leave a hundred percent to you. Um, but the one about breaking the taboo on periods and sport performance, Mm, yeah, (laughs) this is something that I obviously never know how to ask because it is a taboo, Uh but you have an article about this and what do you like to like talk about what it was like listening to that conversation from Lolo Jones, because I think that's what you wrote it off of. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just maybe what that may be like, because I mean, yeah. obviously I'm never going to experience it, but I think it's stupid that it's a taboo because more than half of the world experiences this. So it's like, how is this taboo? It's not like, oh, I should be knowing about this either. Like, it's not something I should be aware of, I guess, but I don't think it should be a taboo if, if like I said, half of or more than half of the population is literally experiencing it and... I just don't know if like how much of, of an effect it does have on sports performance or if there's anything uh, athletes have to do differently during yeah. during those times. Yeah, that's an actually awesome one that you brought up because it's like you said, more, half the people in this world deal with it. And even if you're a professional athlete, you know, you have to deal with that. 
um, yeah, that interview was actually with Lolo Jones and then the two gold medalists for beach volleyball, April Ross and Alex Kleinman. Um, and it was their conversation. I was just writing about the conversation. Um, but it was essentially surrounding the idea of how getting your period, not only just at the basic level, you know, for, for sports, but at the professional level, when you have so many eyes on you, how much of a, um, I guess of a hassle that is to really deal with not only physically, but, um, with the physical symptoms that you get from experience your period, but also the mental, um, symptoms that you get from experiencing that. And I think the most interesting part of that conversation and just what really opened my eyes to the whole idea is that a lot of the sports world, a lot of the world in general, but if we're going to just keep, you know, you could go on for that for days, but the sports world in general is, is really, a lot of it is designed for men. And, you know, if you're thinking about, I, I think of back to, you know, Wimbledon, there's a tradition of wearing all white to, um, to Wimbledon as an athlete. And, um, a lot of female athletes have had their periods and then have had to wear all white to Wimbledon, which is the biggest, one of the biggest tennis matches ever. And having to experience in that, not only just as from a physical standpoint of the fear of, you know, bleeding through your uniform and having that show and have that public humiliation, but then also just the stress on it for that matter. Um, you know, and there was a different article on, on her turf that was talking about a gymnast, um, a Jamaican gymnast who had to essentially her, she knew that her period was going to fall or her cycle was going to fall on the days that she competed. And so she had to take birth control and alter her birth control in order to shift her period so that she didn't have to, she wouldn't have to worry about it. And that's not to say that, you know, we feminine products definitely help with this in this regard. And, you know, using a tampon can help with all these scenarios, but it's just, it's more so just the fear of it. And the, 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 that, that fear and that stress takes away from your athletic performance. And I think that's the biggest thing that this article with Alex Kleiman and April Ross, this interview was sort of stressing is that maybe something, maybe nothing happens. You know, oftentimes you're not hearing about a story breaking with, you know, the, the U S women's soccer team wears white shorts all the time. And a lot of them have protested against that. A lot of um, different teams this summer actually during the Olympics have protested against the uniform requirements, but those uniform requirements are designed by men. Men aren't, men don't have to think about getting your period during a soccer match if you're wearing white shorts, cause that's just not, you know, something you have to think about. So it just goes back to show how it's all kind of woven into the fabric, no pun intended of these sport, like uniform requirements, you know, like that, that is just something that male voices don't have to really talk about and they're not talking about it. Maybe they're not talking about it cause they just don't know, or just, you know, that's being silenced. And that's an example of a story that, um, I really want to raise awareness to not only because I, you know, I wore race buns for four years in college and it was always kind of stressful thinking, okay, well, hopefully, you know, you kind of just fingers crossed. And it's not so much that something was guaranteed to happen, but it was, it was enough of a stress to where it, it did, take you out of that moment. It it caused you to lose focus for that moment. And if you were on your period and you were racing, that was just an extra element of stress that men don't have to think about. Yeah. And and that's, 
that's great that we brought this up mm -hmm. for two reasons. One, I think it proves that it's a taboo because I felt uncomfortable asking it and I could <laughs> tell that you felt uncomfortable <laughs> answering it as well. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's like if, if we don't ask these questions and if we don't have these conversations, one, I, I've never thought about white shorts, like ever. Yeah. I've never- Is your uniform white? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I uh, like just realizing this right now, the girls wear yellow and we never wear yellow. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no clue if that's why right. they wear right. it, but possibly, you know, mm -hmm. like it, it may be because of that. I'm, I'm not sure. Like this is literally the first time I've ever asked anyone this question. Um, but I think that if we don't have these conversations, we don't find out. If we don't right. find out, nothing changes. So it's, you know, stepping outside of our comfort zone for, exactly. to, to reach some sort of progress. And um, it's awesome that you asked that too, because even even after writing, you know, an article like this, you know, no, no, it's the first time I've ever been asked this by a man. So kudos to you for even starting the conversation. But it's like, you're, yeah, it's uncomfortable to ask it, and you and you weren't afraid to be wrong in asking it, and it's so cool that you just took that risk because, you know, the, that dialogue's not happening. Like men just don't think about that naturally. Um, so yeah, good work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, a a bit more of your work. You have, well, I'm going to ask, actually ask you a question that you asked everybody that was reading. Um, it's from Getting Women on the Green, uh, the, oh. the article that you have like on golf. So here, here's the question. If a woman learns to play golf, is she merely succumbing to the boys only culture or is it more empowering to, to take every opportunity to get ahead and run with it? I'm not talking about golf specifically, but in general, Again, sports mm -hmm. being a metaphor for life. How does this work? It is, for example, in politics, um, there's a book we have to read for a class called uh, Notes from the Crack Ceiling. And it's, uh, it, it asks, what is it going to take for a woman to get elected as president of the United States? This book was right after, uh, written right after 2008 when Hillary lost the primary to Obama. Um, so obviously a lot has changed since then. We now right. have a vice president that is in office or, or a female a vice president that is in office. Um, but even with that book, like it, it came to show us that if you want to make change, you either set yourself up to lose by combating that in the campaign or you adjust to the game, you go with it, you win and then you make the change once you're there. So what, mm -hmm. what is your take on it? Should you succumb to the boys only culture or is it actually empowering because later on you'll make a difference? Yeah, another great question. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I, I was looking back on that article, I think last year and I was just kind of laughing to myself cause I, yeah, I think I wrote that in 2018 or 19. Um, and since then I've just, my perspective on this has changed a lot. Um, but to that, that for more context into that article, I was essentially noticing, or I was talking to a woman. I think I got into a rabbit hole of a conversation where I was talking to this woman about how she works at a big tech company and how she oftentimes feels left out because on Friday afternoons, all the men leave office and then they go play a round of golf and she didn't know how to play golf so she didn't think that she could you know she didn't think she had a voice or could fit in in that culture because she didn't know how to play so she always just kind of skipped out on those meetings and then she learned 
she took a few golf lessons and then said, Hey, can I, can I come out and join you guys? And she, she went out and, and played nine holes with the guys. And it sort of became this, this new element of her career where she was able to sort of turn that chapter and, and connect more with her male colleagues. And I think now that I'm saying this at first, my, my initial kind of response is, you know, the, my initial response would to say, Oh, you know, I think that women can forge their own way and we can create, um, you know, a culture and more of a societal acceptance on, um, not that it has to be gendered, but you know, not golf is not gendered by any means, but it's definitely something that you can definitely play together. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. That doesn't like none of a lot of these topics don't have to be gendered at all, but, um, that's the space in which I wrote it. So, um, I think looking back on it, my initial response is to say, Oh, you know, I think that women can create their own sort of culture and their own identity and forge their own path in a male dominated culture. And that can be just fine. Um, but having a, just grown up, like we mentioned at the beginning, you know, grown up in this male dominated space, um, playing baseball and not having to switch to softball, even though softball is essentially, you know, women forging their own way and making their own path and creating this awesome, empowering female driven game, you know, of softball like that, that is essentially, you know, sort of women's own way of like kind of sticking it to the man and like creating their own space for the same game, but a different game, but you know, a similar version to it. But I think with this golf example, it's like, I don't want to say that it would necessarily be succumbing to the boys culture, but I think, and using that as a way to level up, I think I would rewrite that in a different way now, but I think I would more so like to think that it's believing and understanding that you do belong in that space if you wanted to. And I, I think it's not something that if I was to rewrite this article and, and with a different perspective or, or, you know, change my point of view on it, I would maybe fall on the lines of, you don't have to play golf to belong in a, in a male dominated space, but you should have the option to, and have that be okay, whether or not you do play golf or not, you know, like we don't, it's not like if you're in a, in a, it's not like that. It's that you not playing golf shouldn't be the caveat for you not belonging in the culture in this, if we're going to use that specific example, like you shouldn't, women should not have to feel like they have to conform themselves to feel like they belong. They should feel like they have an option to like, okay, maybe I will go out and play the back nine with you guys, or maybe I'll, you know, go home and do my own thing for a little while. Like that, that, that shouldn't, you shouldn't have to leave the office. And when I was talking to this woman that inspired this piece, she was leaving the office feeling, you know, kind of defeated, like left out. And it shouldn't be this male dominated and male centric culture to where if you are a female in that space, you feel like you have to, to take part in that, in those male dominated activities. And I think having an option is probably a better way to put it. And I, I think that, yeah, I, like I said, I think this article, this column is, it's fun to look back on and read because it's cool to think about how your perspective changes. And I think this one is a little out of date just in terms of the progression and the perspective that I have now. Um, 
but it falls along the same lines. I mean, I'm, I'm in a male dominated industry every day. I had this job over the summer and I'm about to start a new one and it, it's, it's dominated by men. It's created for men. It's created by men and it's, and it's changing and a lot of it's growing and women's voices are constantly included in those conversations. But again, it, it takes a lot of empowerment and a lot of leadership and a lot of self-awareness and, you know, a lot of just kind of badass qualities to understand like, okay, I don't have to just do what the boys are doing all the time. It doesn't, we don't have to create a boys club. We can just create, you know, an us club where we all partake in these activities if we want to or not. And it doesn't have to be gendered by any means. So I think that's what I would probably say, answer your long answer to your question. No, that's, that's a great answer. And, um, I mean, you have this experience right now with your pieces, uh, whether it be a blog or whether it be on the newspaper or whatever article. Um, and I have it with this podcast mm-hmm. and with video. So I'm going to look straight at the camera and tell anyone that's never done any sort of mm-hmm. published work that this is normal, you know, just because we change opinions uh, doesn't make us bad. You're allowed to change opinions. Right. The, the only constant is change, you know? Yes. Um, and for us to be able to look back and say, well, I don't agree with that person anymore. Well, I mean, when you're writing your article, there's a reason that picture of what you looked like when you wrote it is there. And right, right. now maybe you're not the same person and that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. I've looked back at some of my previous podcasts. So uh, for context, I recorded 10 in May and my first 10 were all from May and I posted some of these even in November and while I'm recording it's like wow I no longer agree with myself or wow I'm such an idiot for Mm -hmm. saying that but I think that that's the point and it's the beauty of progress and being able to have it you know set in stone in a way like marking our progress set in stone because it was posted um, and for me to be able to look back and say wow, I was a dumbass, you know, but (laughs) if you can't look back at yourself and say, wow, I was such a dumbass, you're probably still a dumbass, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Like looking hindsight, you know, is everything, but you know, that constant evolvement is like, it's so beautiful. It's so, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's so, it's so necessary. And I, it's spaces like this where you can, where you actually come, can kind of look internally. And I'm such an introspective person that sometimes to my own demise, like, you know, thinking back and overthinking and thinking about what I said and stuff like that. But it's just like, if you don't have the space to even talk about these things at all, you know, you're kind of going in the wrong direction. So yeah, I agree. It's a beautiful thing. Evolvement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, uh, well now literally last topic before we close out, um, your last piece that really caught my eye, mental health of college athletes. Do you remember that one or no? Yes. uh, Yeah. So, um, you talked a lot about like comparing, you know, like this is sorry to be very repetitive, but again, like uh, sports as a metaphor for life in the mm-hmm. sense that like the physical side, mental health means suiting up and putting in the time, which is actually, sorry, that's one of your quotes. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, to, like tell me a bit about that and, and what you saw. I, obviously I still have a few of the, of the quotes, but how important is that mental side and how much do you think the takeaways from being an athlete can help you through them? Was this the article with Dak, about Dak Prescott? Do you remember? No, 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 no. 
A different one? Because so, I think I wrote two mental health pieces, but... So, no, this one, um, this one's called Mental Health of College Athletes, and some of the quotes I have is, like the physical side, mental health means suiting up and putting in the time. Another one is, uh, this work is just as important as the extra 100 push-ups and 10 minutes of core. Bettering your mental health can, uh, can start small, just as your physical training once did. And lastly, mm-hmm. uh, and you may find that you're growing into a better person, which will help you become a better athlete as well. Um, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you remember that or not, but if you yeah. have any of takes you'd like to add, I just wanted to mention those quotes because one, I agree with them two, I relate with them. And three, I think that if people hear these, they're going to be really helpful because whether you are a D1 athlete or not, you can maybe go out and run or do any sort of workout. And it's, it's going to be helpful to take those takeaways into your mental health because everybody experiences it, especially during the pandemic times, mm-hmm. even though we're heading out. I mean, it's, yeah. it's still like people realize that those right. problems are there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I 100% still agree with, with those sentiments that I said before. Um, and I will only add that I think COVID allowed obviously the whole world to sort of look inward and recognize where they were struggling and maybe places they didn't really realize before. But during that time, I, and a lot of it had to really do with running. I I wasn't performing in a way that I wanted to, and I was not, I wasn't given the opportunity, you know, we weren't racing or anything like I mentioned before. I wasn't really given the opportunities to run and running suddenly became an aspect of of my life, um, especially in between sort of like the first couple years of college as an athlete, especially with with running like we've mentioned it's it's you versus you and it's you versus the clock and oftentimes that doesn't go in your way it doesn't go your way and um showing up for practice for a while there in addition to just some of the the hardships that I experienced in college but in, in my personal life like understanding how connected that was to my own mental state um, like oftentimes showing up and going to practice was, was difficult, not because I was, it was hard that day or it was a hard workout or, um, you know, after a tough loss or anything like that, it had nothing to do with the physical implications of the sport necessarily. It had to do, it has to do with other parts of your life bleeding, bleeding in and, and being an athlete also means being human. And I think so much of, um, so many of these athletes, I mean, I'm going to use the Simone Biles example, that story, I was working for NBC sports at the time. And there was just a lot of insides and outsides to that story that we were covering and, um, sort of hearing about as the story progressed. And that just, that hit me so hard. And yes, she's a professional athlete. And this article was written about college athletes, but that I related to that story a lot because, at the during during COVID and and during my senior year when was when I mentioned like mentally just being so drained and not having the self love and the the sort of I guess just I wasn't feeling as empowered as I was and I might have been in the best shape of my life at that time but I just mentally was not able to show up for myself every day and now being out of the collegiate athlete space and finding a love for running again, it took me a little while. It's taking me a little while. I should not say took, but it's, it's taking me time because a lot of time, a lot of things I, I resonate with running are 
kind of negative, to be honest. Like I, you know, my career, my career was kind of shitty. I, COVID was impacted it a lot. Injuries packed, impacted it. Um, I didn't, and I look back on that with a little bit of, it still kind of stings, you know, a little like, man, like I, I still kind of look back on that. And I, but I think back to where my mental health was during my collegiate career and now, and I'm very proud of the fact that I was able to admit that to myself and I was able to understand, okay, had I maybe addressed some of these mental health issues earlier or just even just acknowledged that I struggle mentally a lot, I recognize the power that that could have had maybe on my athletic performance. I recognize that maybe, you know, I there was times where I would, you know, show up every physically or if I was physically okay or not, sick, not, whatever, I would show up to practice every single day. And you, you, you 100% should, as a collegiate athlete, obviously it's your job essentially. But there were moments where just I, I felt alone or felt just like I was experiencing some of these negative mental health issues and, and I would show up otherwise and I would have a bad workout and then I would say, oh, it's because I'm not fit enough. And then I would go train harder than I did the following day on a, on a day that's supposed to be meant for recovery. And then that day of recovery would turn into a hard effort. And then that hard effort would then bleed into the next workout. You know, like if we have a workout on a Tuesday and I'm, you know, mentally just not checked in and I have a bad workout, then on Wednesday I would show up for an easy run and, and kind of try and go too fast, run too fast, run at a pace that I wasn't supposed to. And then, or maybe I'm doubling on Tuesday night and kind of training too hard, you know, that bleeds into Thursday's performance. So it's like, it's people you hear, you know, I just heard Stefan Diggs the other day, come on sports center and talk about his own mental health issues. Obviously Simone Biles, like there's, I feel like every week there's an athlete coming forward and they have a professional lens and it's, it's a bit different when you're going through college and having to deal with school and family lives and all that. It's different, but understanding the weight that it carries now and hearing people say, you know, oh, mental health is just as important as physical health. Understanding that like in hindsight, now that I'm out of college athletics, it's crazy to think about if I had improved my mental health to where it is now or just or just at least recognized where I need to be, how that really could have improved my my abilities on the track as well as yeah. all of it. It would have made me a better person it, and it would have made me a better athlete through and through because it, it they are, are so, so, so connected. It's crazy. And it sometimes it doesn't take, you know, I sometimes talk, about, talk to people about this issue and it doesn't, sometimes it hits people, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it takes going through the motions and actually experiencing something like that. But they really are connected simply in terms of, you know, having a nagging foot injury, having a, having, getting, I don't know, slide tackle during a game and having to come out, you know, sit on the sidelines. It's like, if you're not mentally there, that can really affect how you show up, not only in the moment on the game, on the pitch that one day, but the next day at practice, you know, the next day in a captain's meeting, you know, you can be irritated about something and piss people off. And, you know, there's just different dynamics. I think that mental health really bleeds into every aspect of an athlete's career, collegiate or professional or, you know, anyone really. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, um, to quote you, um, <laughs> mental health as part it is part of, not apart from, athlete health. Um, and there's a, yeah. a great little post from Victoria Garrick, the host mm-hmm. of the Real uh, podcast, and it, it's like why 
cookies are healthy. Did you see that or no? No. All right, so it's literally her taking a selfie with a cookie. Um, and the caption is a quick story, why cookies are healthy. And she explains that many people think that cookies are unhealthy, the same as pizza or any other delicious foods. Um, but that when she doesn't have these, these affect some of her mental health for sticking to a very strict diet yeah. and never taking a break. Mm-hmm. But then people are saying that mental health is health. So if you're saying that not having cookies, not having pizza, not having burgers, whatever you want to call it, is affecting your mental health, then doing the opposite and having them is going to improve it, meaning that cookies are healthy right. because mental health <laughs> is health. And it's it's just a, a fun yeah. little story, but I completely agree with it. I mean, I only followed her not too long ago, like mm-hmm. a, two, three weeks ago. Um, but that post like really resonated with me and, and I was like, wow, like that, that is a great point. Yeah. And I mean, personally, I follow a pretty strict diet, but every now and then I do have to like take that break, you know, right. and, and have whatever I want to have because otherwise it's just not going to work mentally and mental health is physical health, but mm-hmm. also it's just going to affect each other. Like you said, you become a better person and that automatically makes you a better mm-hmm. athlete. And yeah. it's easy to say it, but once you experience it, it feels completely different. Right. And I'm like reaching that point right now after so much adversity in my first years that now I it's like, I just got to ask about that. <laughs> yeah. It's literally like it happened a few weeks ago and, um, I've just struggled a lot. Um, for those that don't know, like I registered uh, freshman year, sophomore year, the pandemic, junior year, uh, tore my meniscus pretty much. Uh, and that's, that's my experience and how it's been so far. And it, it was, it caused an imposter syndrome for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently that block like went away and it's been so nice, you know, because I worked on it so long, so long, so long, and it made me a better person. How did you and automatically it made me a better athlete how did i break the imposter like, syndrome yeah what what exactly did you do so the first thing i'm going to say is that there are no secrets like secret steps or anything i mean i don't think it's i think it's different for everyone but for me something i've really gotten into since the pandemic is stoicism through ryan holiday holiday is basically mm-hmm. like the author i had mentioned um it's all about he talks about modern stoicism pretty much um and stoicism i mean i've already mentioned it in this podcast but it's it's like it's a whole philosophy just focused around the idea that you don't control what happens to you you control how you respond there's many teachings within it and many ways to look at it but that's how it's helped me and just studying it and then most importantly applying it to my life has really helped me out and it's made me a better person and literally i think it was a month ago it, it was literally a month ago this time that I just showed up to practice and I was like, all right, like, I'm just going to have fun today. Um, and things went well. And then I'm like, well, interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll do the exact same thing tomorrow. <laughs> and then again, and it, was, it went on for like two weeks. And I mean, then our season ended, but it was nice, you know, right. and I'm not going to say I've broken it or, and that everything's worked out. It hasn't because that, that's it. I've only tasted those two weeks, but in the same way that you saw that you reached your potential with your 17 mile run, I tasted fun in soccer for the right. first time in a right. long time and saying like, well, let's do this again. And yeah. I'm really excited right now for the spring semester and, and training with, with the boys and, and everything. And I mean, hopefully next, next fall, just seeing what happens, you know, but it's, 
it's going back to the enough story that Joe Keller poem because or Joe Heller sorry Joe Heller uh, poem because although I am very ambitious and I hate like just uh, settling for quote unquote enough I do think that it's important at times to recognize like this is why I'm doing it for it's not the external uh, success or expectations or standards that I'm shooting for it's the internal ones that I set for myself and automatically that does make you more ambitious in a way and it does make you a higher performer but I don't know that's that's how I work and that's how I I go about things there. yeah I I mean dude it sounds that's the thing too that was that's that's so exciting about that right is it's 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 sort of contagious when you when you do set those standards for yourself and you do only do it for you because I think maybe a lot of collegiate athletes will relate to this you kind of get a little bit lost in terms of who you're doing it for and you know if you're on a scholarship or you know you're doing it because your parents want you to or maybe you're just doing it to be to continue being on the team it it, whatever the reason sometimes you can get lost in, in terms of really wanting to do it for you and it sounds like you showing up and sort of reframing your mindset and showing up for yourself every day and choosing to have fun at practice has led you to become excited about your next season where like when I had that when I did that 17 mile run and I was showing up and I was I was fit and I was receiving the results that I wanted and you know that played a part into it too but I was also just like I really just want to do this for me and it made me excited for and you know whatever never got the season that I was excited for but it's like oh it's it's exciting to it it really fueled a lot of my energy and and it it really does help you know, change the narrative and, and change why you show up every day. And uh, I just, I think that's really inspiring. Thank you. And yeah. I mean, although maybe someone could say it's selfish, I th- actually think it's really selfless because you can't give what you don't have. If you don't love yourself, you can't spread love to others. You right. know, if you don't have, if you don't trust yourself, you can't trust others. That's just how it works. Mm-hmm. And think about it in a physical aspect you know if if i don't have five dollars and i can't give you five dollars and it works the exact same way with everything in life so i think starting with yourself is the best way of helping others you know if you want to make the world a better place take a look at yourself and then make it happen um so absolutely man that's pretty much it i mean (laughs) we've had i i haven't even looked at the time I'm sure this is probably the longest podcast I've ever recorded. I'm Maybe. Really, I mean, it's, I feel like I feel like we could go on for a long time, though. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually think so. Um, I, I'm not. I don't know what time we click play, but I may even have to like break it down into two separate parts, like part Maybe. one, part two. Yeah. Um, but as we start closing out, what's next? What's what's next in in your journey? What's what's coming up on on your path? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I, I guess I haven't really, um, figured out, I still haven't figured out the way to say this cause it's still pretty new news, but I am actually going to be moving out to Connecticut, um, to Hartford, Connecticut, which is near Bristol, Connecticut, which is the home of ESPN, um, on December 8th, I'm going to be moving out there, um, to start a job on December 13th, working as a production assistant for ESPN, part of the ESPN Next program, which is essentially a, a small group of people that are sort of thrust into the world of ESPN. And um, there's two, there's a, essentially two different rotations you kind of go through, and you get assigned um, different segments and sports shows, and um, to sort of really work on and dive into. And I haven't been assigned those yet, but they range anything from College Game Day to Sports Center to um, 
ESPN 30 for 30 and the real journalist, um, side, the storytelling, curious, passionate about large issues side of me really wants to be a part of um, the storytelling team, which is sort of diving into some of these feature podcasts and outside the lines and E60, which are sort of really focused on some of these larger issues in sports. But um, but yeah, probably going to have to do a lot of the dirty work first and trying to, you know, just get, get more experience under my belt and um, starting at... ESPN is, is not a bad way to do that. So um, very humbled, very humbled and to have received that. And yeah, excited to, to start that journey in a couple weeks here. Two weeks from today, I think I'm moving out there. So Wow. Well, congratulations Thank on you. that. That is very, very exciting. Um, fun, fun, funny story, actually. I was just thinking about people to, to invite. And ever since I created this podcast, like I said, we've never really talked. Mm-hmm. Um, but in high school, I was like, yeah, like... Lacey is going around and I was like, wow, like that's, that's sick. Like yeah. I want to meet people like that. I want to surround myself with people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you were a senior, I was a sophomore and I was uh, playing soccer that year. Again, the only year I played high, uh, high school soccer. Um, mm-hmm. and you were there and I think, I mean, I, we probably talked a bit, but I was like, awesome to still like see you working so hard and, and things like that. And I was creating the podcast, uh, and I made a huge list of people that I've I've met and I'm like, yeah, yeah Lacey is for sure someone I want to <laughs> oh interview. So it's awesome that we got to do this. Yeah. And, and I randomly uh, sent you like a, a message, right? And I'm like, are you going to be home in, in December? Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember asking you that in the summer yeah, and yeah. you weren't. So I don't know why I asked you. Like it, it was super random because I was going to start texting people about December uh-huh. in December, you know? And I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll just text her. And then you said, I'm moving. I'm like, shit, I have to make this happen right now. So I'm really glad I made it happen because this was lots of fun. Yeah, Um, so fun, dude. This is... This is unreal. I'm I'm like so blown away by you and your work, and I'm I'm so excited for you as well. I can't I cannot wait to see what you do as well. You've got a really good hat on your shoulders, seriously. Thank you so much. It, yeah. it really means a lot, and I mean these are the conversations I I live for in a way, and it's super exciting that we got to cover all of this and and your story and your work. And I mean I applaud you for everything you do. Um, it's it's awesome. This is like I said, the reason I do this is to surround myself with this type of people. So. Thank you so much for, for taking the time, for, for trusting you. me with this. Thank and you. Best of luck in, in the future with ESPN and whatever may happen. I can't wait to do part two to see. Yeah, what, what we'll else have to do another to. one. <laughs> yeah, and just to close out, again, it's, it's, I've never said this to one of my guests, but I will quote you. Um, just like, I think a good way to recap this entire thing is, or the title of this episode, and I never know about the title until I'm posting it, but I think the easiest title for this is going to have to be um, women in sports because it's just who you are and, and yeah, everything we yeah. talked about. And <laughs> I mean, I, I just want to quote you on like how we can make this issue, how we can improve this issue. Mm-hmm. And you said um, that, let's see, in the same sense that people claim women make up half the population and therefore half its potential Men represent the other half, meaning that their potential to resolve this uh, issue in our society is equivalent to ours. Um, how can we how can we fight back against this issue if only half of uh, if only half act to end it? How can we win a game if only half the team shows up to play? And you close off by saying empowering each other. And I think that's the the biggest takeaway. That's the thing I'm taking with me the most. And 
Thank you. Thank you so much for, for all this. I really Thank appreciate you so it. much for your, for your work and your research. And I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to have done this with you and lucky to even be in your, you know, aura. It's awesome to even be around here right now. So thank you again so much for, for the interview and your questions. And, um, yeah, I can't wait for the next one, man. I can't wait either. Um, for everyone that watched to thank you so much, uh, for, for watching either on YouTube or listening on Spotify. If you're on YouTube, please like, and subscribe. If you're on Spotify, please follow my podcast. Also, thank you f to my cameras for lasting the entire time. Yeah, shout um, out. So, shout out to these <laughs> technology things. But, no, seriously, thanks to everyone. Um, I'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to my podcast and follow me on my personal social media accounts for more. All at Fer Andraes. All links are in the description. If this episode inspired you in any way, Please help me out by sharing it with a friend to help them leave their dent in the universe as well. That's it for today. I'll see you all next time.